0: I'm Dave Baker. And I'm Spandrew Spice. Welcome to Deep Cuts, a podcast where we pick a topic and walk you through the ins, the outs, and the nitty-gritty so that you can appear like an interesting and idiosyncratic person at your next forced social function. Today's topic is... Akira. What is Akira? Well, it's a manga and anime project created by Katsuhiro Otomo. It follows a group of young children in a post-apocalyptic cyberpunk future, Tokyo as they attempt to fight for their lives against deep state operatives, psychically powered little people, and corrupt bureaucrats. Believe it or not, it also changed the world. This moment. This shot, these animation cells, they changed how the world viewed anime. They became so iconic and so beloved, they ostensibly opened up the West to the intricately woven tapestry of Japanese animation. One film kicked down the door and propelled a fledgling cult preoccupation to a cultural mainstay in America. That film, Akira. Based on the runaway smash hit manga, Akira, published by Young Magazine, Katsuhiro Otomo's magnum opus the same name was viewed by its creator as a failure on its release. In various interviews, he called it his biggest regret. He's even gone on record saying that he knew from the first screening that the film was going to be a failure. And yet, here we are, still talking about it. Bandrew, what is your your first experience with Akira? And did it have the stench, the horrible, horrible stench of failure when you first consumed it? Because this is a kind of a revelation to me. I had no idea that it was a massive failure when I first found it. I was like, "This is the greatest fucking thing of all time ever! This is amazing."
1: Yeah, I think I think maybe a maybe a um, a auteur anime director's failure or idea of a failure is like a twelve year old American boy's idea of like the most badass thing ever made. Uh, because I, I I think my 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 experience with with Akira is, I think, you know, my, my first exposure to anime, I think was watching the, uh, renting and watching anime uh, uh, at video stores, like before, before even Toonami. Um, I think, I think one of my first, uh, exposures to anime was renting the VHS releases of the original first 13 episodes of Dragon Ball, which was like a whole separate version of the show with a different dub than the eventual like Toonami version and the Funimation version um, with, with all different voice actors and stuff like that. Um And so I, I feel like I had a very specific idea of what anime was, which was kind of like cutesy, almost feeling like it was for kids because you know, that, that first 13 episodes of Dragon Ball feels very much like it's just a kid show. Um, I think I had seen like Kiki's delivery service and, some of the other Ghibli movies. I hadn't seen Princess Mononoke yet. Maybe it wasn't out yet. I don't remember the timelines. Um, and then I was with, I was with a group of kids and this, this kid that was a friend of mine was just describing this. One of the, the, the openings or one of the opening scenes of, of Akira, not the motorcycle fight, but the, but the part with the, with the, Kids running away from the guy who's chasing after him. The 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 little experimented kids um, with the powers. They're running away from a guy, and uh, at some point, um, he just gets like he just gets like Swiss cheesed with a with a machine gun and just like blood oh yeah, you're spring. talking about
0: yeah, you're talking about kind of like the cold open. It's basically like a there's a secret agent character who's like protecting one of the little kids
1: yeah yeah yeah, yes that's what it is and then and they're like
0: going through a crowd and there's like a riot happening and then that guy just like you're saying he gets fucking verhovened by like a bunch of machine
1: guns yeah and and this my friend was was just describing this scene um and uh yeah and so and it was almost like it was almost like a like a bard like coming to a city to like tell the tale of a of a of an, of like a strong warrior that was traveling the countryside, like fighting bad guys or whatever. Yeah. And so, and he was just describing this to like a group of kids. And so in a way that I feel like happens a lot with stuff, whenever you're a kid, I was just like, I was like transfixed by this just description of this thing. Um, and yeah, it was presented to me at my first introduction of it was like the coolest thing and also like this taboo thing. Cause it's like, you're not supposed to see this. It's like really violent and there's blood and guts. Um, and then, and then I finally saw it and it, you know, it. I, I rented it or something like, I, I saw it shortly afterward and it lived up to the hype. Like, honestly, like I feel like a lot of times you hear that stuff and then you watch it or you hear it or whatever. And you're like, ah, eh, it's not as cool as when that person told about it, but it like lived up to it. Um, so yeah, I, I remember it as being just like, the coolest thing that had ever happened, basically, and that was what everybody thought of it. All the, all of my, all the kids that I was, that I hung around with. It was like this special thing that somebody had discovered at some point and then shared it with everybody.
0: Yeah, that was. It's funny because my
1: experience with it is not
0: dissimilar as it being this like singular work. And I don't think when I first watched, I think I saw it at the end of junior high or beginning of high school, and I didn't know that it was based on a manga. I just knew that it was. A movie and I also didn't I had a really hard time transitioning from Akira to anything else um, like I was I saw it when I was whatever 13 14 15 somewhere in there and it like you blew my fucking socks off I was like this is this is the greatest fucking thing that has ever been made I love the way this is directed I love the soundscape I love the violence I love the background paintings and the like neo-noirness of it and cyberpunkness of it. I love the, the voice acting. Um, cause I don't think I saw it dubbed. I think I saw it subbed at first. Cause I just remember like the screaming being so like emotionally like gut wrenching, you know what I mean? Um, and it, it fucking like flipped me on my ear. Oh, a hundred percent. Yeah. like, like a you know like i went around the house for like weeks just going
2: <laughs>
0: like i fucking loved it um but i i didn't know what else to transition to because i didn't have a lot of friends that were into this kind of stuff and like it was kind of like the early days of the internet so i didn't really know how to find other weird dark anime so i just like googled or probably yahoo searched at that point um his name, Katsuhiro Otomo, and I found that he'd made some comics and I found that he co wrote another movie, but he didn't direct it. Metropolis, which was directed by Rentaro. Yeah. He co-wrote which is not one. anything like this at all. I mean That was but, so that was the second anime movie that I ever watched. And I was
1: like, Wow, that was cool, but not Akira. Really not Akira. And there kinda and there kinda wasn't anything like it really. I mean that was kind of the whole thing with it. It's like there were I mean in the 90s uh what's what's that animation studio that did all just the hyper violent anime and oh
0: yeah um and they also at the same studio studio not studio trigger uh studio oh damn you, oh, damn you spandrew if you hadn't asked me this i would have been able to say it but it's also like you know the like you know ninja scroll i mean they're,
1: they're, yeah, the nin- thing is like ninja scroll vampire a- hunter d like they had there, there was all all these anime specifically from this one studio um, that I kind of think capitalized off of a kind of a movement in the 90s where it was like it it was a subgenre of anime that was almost kind of like taken and made the face of anime to make it more popular in the states and anime had kind of struggled to push through before that. But once they were like, oh, we'll just take all these really hyper violent anime with blood and guts and stuff like that, and we'll just make it be like, this is what anime is. And um, there's a lot of good, a good, uh, 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 of good, like 90s anime, um, like hyper violent, um, uh, whatever, whatever the term is, OVA, OVA. There's a, there's a there's a lot of good violent 90s anime OVA's. But the thing about Akira was. It was that it was almost like a trojan horse because it was that but unlike most of those other like really gory like hyper violent action anime ovas that they put out in the 90s just to like do well in the states like it was also like in a it was like a it was like a it was like an amazingly beautiful film so it like stuck with you after that whereas the other ones you watch it you're like that was fucking cool and then you kind of move on Whereas like Akira just stays with you forever.
0: Yeah, I mean, part of that is going to be the money poured into it. Part of that is the source material being what it is. And then another part of that is just like the as we're going to talk about in the episode, as we continue on, Akira came out. There's a period in in anime that's usually referred to as the Golden Age, which is like early 80s to late 80s, where the money and cultural import of anime was there as well as the creator base having two generations, people who has had founded the industry and young up-and-comers who were trying to reinvent the industry. So you had like a, a real solid knowledge base, auteurs who wanted to break the system and money and an audience hungry for content. And all three of those things made this soup of all these... And, and Japan was in like a massive economic boom as well. Oh yeah, totally. Like in the 80s, they just had tons of fucking money flowing into their economy, and so a lot of that went into entertainment um, on both sides of it. You know, people buying entertainment and people investing in entertainment to get stuff made. And, um, and you know, now that I know more, there's a lot of stuff that's like Akira that I would have loved at 13, like you know, Appleseed, Ghost in the Shell, Wicked City, um, you know, all uh, uh, Pat Labor, um, you know, even some like weird 70s stuff like fucking the early Gundam stuff or Macross like there's all of that stuff that I now really love Um, Cyber City Oedo 808 like there's all of this weird noir um, science fiction hyper violent stuff even Space Adventure Cobra which is earlier it's like the 70s like I all of that stuff I would have fucking eaten up with a fucking shovel but I didn't find it at that time because I didn't have a way into the cultural stuff. I didn't know anybody. The internet wasn't really helpful for me. Cause how do you search? Like going to have some cool shit, you know?
1: Yeah. Honestly, uh, like I think the reason why, I mean, I'm, I'm speaking from just personal experience, but like that kid I'm talking about, he was like a super rich kid. And I think like that literally was the pipeline of how you found out about stuff is like, there's some rich kid who like, their dad like goes to Japan on a business trip and just brings them back a bunch of weird stuff. And then like they just disseminate it to everybody because that's how I found out like all about anime stuff and from him because his dad would just like go to Japan and bring him stuff back. The thing that's doubly interesting, I think, about Akira is at least for me,
0: I kind of discovered Akira twice because I discovered it when I was a kid and I read it or I watched it and it blew my fucking mind and it became one of my favorite movies. And then for whatever reason, I never really tracked down the manga until towards the end of high school, maybe beginning of college. When I read the manga, it like blew my mind again. Like the manga is even better. Like the it's, this is, I know this is an insane thing to say, but it really is. Like the movie is fantastic and it's its own thing, but for me, the manga is just like the, I mean, it's on the Mount Rushmore of comics. Like it's fantastic.
1: Yeah. Well, as, as, as like, as, as much detail as went into the movie and all of the crazy production backstory that went into it, it was still ultimately like a, a compromise of a vision where, you know, it was taking like little bits and pieces of this story arc and kind of cramming them together to try to like fit all this stuff and in, in into what ultimately could never have been anything close to what the manga was, unless they did it as a mini-series or, or a full anime. But yeah, I had a, I had a kind of a similar situation where I, I didn't read the manga until I worked at Borders, and I just like, yeah, I just, which was in two thousand eight. I, I, I read it, so it was like a couple years after high school. Um, that I, you know, they just free access to read any of the comics or manga that were there on your break. And I think we even have like a checkout system or something like that. But yeah, I, re- I read it then. Running from 1982 to 1990
0: and later collected into six Tonkoban volumes, the manga Akira tells the story of a near future Tokyo after a nuclear bomb has destroyed much of the city and jumpstarted World War III. We pick up almost 30 years later and follow a small group of street urchins as they attempt to survive in the cyberpunk dystopian world that has grown from the ashes of this terrible tragedy. Tetsuo and Kaneda guide us through a surreal and Kubrickian world filled with hideous body horror, telekinesis, and shadowy deep state operatives. Previous to Akira, Otomo had published two short running series, Domu and Farewell to Weapons, as well as a few short stories. The former architectural student made a reputation for himself for highly accurate drawings of buildings, mechanized robots, and lifelike humans. Being influenced by Western films and novels, Otomo's style was an outlier in the manga landscape of the day. However, thanks to the success of Akira's manga, he was able to jumpstart a career directing. Otomo rapidly saw a meteoric rise through the animation and filmmaking industries. So I just want to underlie that, underline that for a minute. Like, I think there's something specific about the way that ketsuhiro Otomo draws people which are they're they're thin they have somewhat of the trappings of a traditional manga style but they also have they bear a debt to somebody like Mobius or you know they they have a kind of um, neoclassical almost kind of like uh, fine art aesthetic to the way that the people are rendered like they're not they're not hyper stylized in the way that some people are like like the the fucking um the trigun guy who I can't think of his name off the top of my head um, but you know he draws like hair that looks like glass shards or even akira toriyama you know the fucking like goku's hair looks like you yeah, could, like
1: ridiculous hair that you've come to sort of
0: associate with anime and manga but really yeah and i love that stuff like i love the way akira toriyama draws you know he draws those like super cute bubble cars and like they're fucking awesome but i think specifically the kind of east meets west fusion that that otomo kind of brought to the foreground is one of the main contributing factors to why the film was such a like massive success because it because it wasn't i mean obviously anime and manga had cultural mainstay in pan and all across all across asia and also ex- widely accepted in parts of europe but over here in the states we kind of had like bips and bops right we had stuff that was successful but it was adapted you know you don't get attack on titan from the success of speed racer you know which is cool i love speed racer but like it was like a weird thing that like popped up and everyone was like wow this is like weirdly violent and then that's kind of it but yeah i i think his his The specifics of his drawing style are, they're so based in reality and so grounded that the extreme elements feel that much more extreme and they're more, and especially the way he draws faces, I think is pretty applicable to a Western audience. You see, unlike in the States, where comics and film reviewed as distant artistic cousins, in Japan, manga and anime are closely intertwined. In fact, the master draftsman had dabbled in film as a young man, spending 5 million yen of his own money at the age of 25 to create a 16mm live action film. But it would be animation that would jet propel him to another level. After working on commercials and anime projects as a hired gun, he quickly made the jump to directing, helming a segment in the anthology project Neo Tokyo. It was the experience that Otomo gained on Neo Tokyo and his almost decade-long effort to bring Akira the manga to a close that birthed this moment. The opening of Akira sees two rival gangs warring over turf, the gang we follow, led by Kaneda, and a rival gang, the Clowns, led by a character christened the Joker. Kaneda and the Joker square off at each other, playing a life-or-death game of chicken. And the end result is Joker eating pavement and Kaneda doing this. This moment is so iconic and effortlessly cool that it's been parodied, homaged, and spoofed in nearly all of media since. It's appeared in Batman, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Yu-Gi-Oh!, Star Wars, and Pokemon. It was this moment... It would ultimately change everything for Tomo, But getting there, that would be the real challenge. Alright, so we're watching the, the fabled clip. Oh my god, look at that fucking background. Um, fuck me, that's so cool. Um, one of the many things that makes Akira so awesome is the fidelity to reality for that shot messed me up
1: oh yeah that i I talked about a lifelong fear of like putting my eye in a microscope from the phantom movie that scene where he gets the guy gets knocked off of his bike and then he runs over his arm um as he as he rides by that just also became this thing in my mind where i'm just like oh god like I never want to, like, put my arm down on a street where, like, a a motorcycle might ride by and run over me or something like that. I love the way that the actual
0: bike animation is done because all those bikes and those cars are drawn by fucking hand. And that is insane. Like, they look like they're based on a CG model. Nope. That shit is... Fucking drawing!
1: Oh, I love that too. I love the light trails coming out of yeah, the I like back of it. Yeah, the light trails after, out, out of the headlights. Yeah, I mean that's, that's what I was talking about before. Like the what is looked at is like a failure by the people who produce this movie. Like to just a little kid that's never seen anything like that before. That is just the coolest thing you've, you, you've ever seen. As yeah, like, I mean, I think the, there's some... the beginning of the movie.
0: Yeah, I mean I think there's something to be said of like it's unfortunate that we have to ascribe a monetary value to success and failure in the arts. I mean, obviously it's a business too, so I understand why, but just because Akira didn't make enough money in its initial theatrical window doesn't mean that the whole project is null and void. And and I think it I think from Otomo's point of view, the ending of the film and the construction of cherry picking final fragments over the course of you know the almost decade-long story that he was telling in the manga to try and make a story in the film work is like a near impossible task and I actually don't know that it is I think he's right I think on one level he's right that it is a failure in terms of it's a story that is 99.9 percent about the vibes and like two percent about like the character arcs and the actual plot construction, and it kind of falls apart at the end, and the ending isn't exactly like kind of what you want. But that's also kind of why it's great. But I kind of don't care about any of that. Like I kind of like the the vibes of it, and the the technical know how of it is so impressive that that's that to me makes it a success.
1: Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I mean it it it, it sits it it sits upon that specific throne of like. Movies that will endure in a very specific subset of people's minds forever just simply because they are like aesthetic masterpieces.
0: Yeah. It's in the same it's in the same group as as fucking Blade Runner, you Blade, know? Runner like,
1: Blade Runner 2049, you know, a movie like Drive where it's like there's not like a whole lot that actually happens in that that's particularly compelling. Like a guy like pisses off a dude and then runs away from him. But like the style just carries the whole thing. And and, that, and and it goes against that that saying of like style over substance is bad Where it's you know, that's that, that's like that's like a general thing that people will say It's like if if, if it's like, if it's all style, but it doesn't have like these specific things, story, character, all that stuff, then then it's bad. And that can often be the case where you're like, this is this looks great, but this is fucking boring. But like this is like something above that. Like there's this is like this is like something different. There's, yeah, it's kind of the same way I feel about, like, Jeff
0: Darrow's Hardboiled you know? Where, like, what is Hardboiled actually about? I don't know. Like, I guess it's about, like, a robot guy, like, fighting for his identity, sort of. But, like, who cares? It's not... That's not why you go to that. You go to that to experience and live in the world of this, like, chaotic, hyper-violent, hyper-detailed mania, right? Like, it's a very... You know, Jeff Darrow's artwork is so lush and meth addict in its approach to
1: everything. It's for some reason it's always that like cyberpunk aesthetic that is kinda of coupled with it with what we're talking yeah, about. Yeah, I mean I also really like the movie Cashurn.
0: Do you remember that? The live action adaptation of the anime Cashin. Like that was another one of those movies where I was like, I don't really know what this movie's about other than like Genero, like hero bad guy stuff, but the aesthetic is so intense that I just fucking eat it with a spoon. Yeah, or just like Tetsuo the Iron Man. Tetsuo like, the Iron Man? Or even nothing. Star Wars. Like, yeah. what is, you know, Star Wars is a perfect example of, like, a
1: vibes movie. Yeah, you this, know? this is a whole other episode and rant, but I know exactly what you're talking about because I've had that exact same argument with people that are just like, you know, oh, so-and-so character from the sequel movies is, like, not developed enough or whatever. Like, watch the first Star Wars movie. Darth Vader is not a character. He just shows up a couple times. He gets more developed in the other, in the second and third. But like in the first movie, he's just a guy in a suit. Yeah, yeah, and that's and but that's but he's still awesome. Yeah, it's just for the sure.
0: aesthetics of the movie rule the movie. You know, like the the idea of lived in future space. You know, with laser swords is like so awesome that you kind of don't even care that the end of the movie is the main character destroying the space station by shooting a little bullseye. Like it's so (laughs) stupid, but who cares because it sounds and looks and feels fucking awesome.
1: Yeah. And I think that this all kind of just hits on a, a bigger idea, right? Where there's all the, I mean, you have all the save the cat bullshit, all of the like tropes and theory about like how to craft a good plot and like, what your first act should be and second act and all this stuff like that. And I think that those rules all work within a specific, um, infrastructure, which is like, we are generating movies as a business and we need to make X amount of movies every year and we need to guarantee X amount of profit from these films. And within that infrastructure, in order to make the movies good, you need to follow this formula. And these are movies that just prove that that there's something beyond that, where it's these these formulas exist to to generate art at scale. But when you're not thinking about that, you can have a movie that's like in a way that doesn't make sense to you is amazing. And it's a masterpiece, even though it doesn't follow any of these rules. And it technically, based on all of this theory, is missing a lot of things that should make it a good movie. And yet it is. A, it's great
0: yeah like have you seen Phil tippett's mad God I love that movie like I love that movie and I've seen some interesting discourse online of people being like oh you know I really wanted more narrative I really wish that there'd been more kind of dialogue about you know like a, a narrative uh, I wish there'd been a narrative arc to string the metaphor on as
1: opposed to it being pure metaphor and and I'm then like, all alternate- know they're alternatively all these videos that are dissecting the meaning of things and it's like i don't know if that's there i think that's just you reading yeah very, very far like, into things yeah the like the, the
0: the flip side of that coin is the kubrick like uh he was secretly talking about how he faked the moon landing in the sh- the, the shining like mm, i don't know man
1: um, the shining is another one that's another movie that's like there's not a, not a whole lot going in on in that movie and yet we're still talking about it all these years later yeah and th- yet there
0: is like i think there's a difference between like plot and literal movement and you know kind of these stanzas visually right like that's that's the thing that's so great about akira is that the movie feels simultaneously very grounded and hyper operatic and the juxtap- juxtaposition of the well-rendered horrific body horror oh my God, you can see every vein in Tetsuo's arm, you know, pulsing and ripping and exploding and turning into these giant, weird, gross things. And, oh my God, look at that background painting that's there for 30, you know, milliseconds of like this facade of a shining, you know, black obelisk building with neon lights, you know, playing all over it and there's double lighting and reflecting on reflecting on reflecting and it's almost like a math equation of how
1: brilliantly it's painted. And that's true um, from the very beginning because like right in the very beginning when you're in that bar with Canada right before that sequence happens, that's really your first other than that first thing where the 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 kids being chased with the guy and you're like what's going on? That's that's where the movie really starts. And you you're just like you want to stay and like look around the bar and you're like, look, you're like, what is it? Like you, you look at the back of his jacket and you're like, what is that? Like that's some kind of brand from this world or something. And then you're looking at like the, the jukebox and all the stuff on the walls and the people in the bar. And like you're already just like, I want to stay in the bar and just like explore this and like learn what all this stuff is in the context of all of this.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's it's so enthralling and it sucks you in uh, in a way that most films don't. Um, And I think that's why you keep going back to it as a viewer. That's why you keep kind of wanting to live in that world despite how dreary and depressing it is. Um, And I think that's a testament to the film not being a failure despite literally being a failure which is why it's bullshit. It's bullshit the way we do things now. Fucking, you know, everybody's tallying Rotten Tomato scores, and you know, looking at Metacritic ratings, and looking at IMDb ratings, and it's just like, yeah, if a bunch of people think it's fucking a one out of ten, that doesn't mean that somebody else isn't gonna think it's a ten out of ten. And quite frankly, I don't agree with most people about stuff anyway. I'm, you know, like I'm, I'm the one that's usually over in the corner being like, I don't know, guys this comic about a weird dog boy with an erection's kind of the greatest thing ever made. <laughs> you know? Like, I don't know. It, it just really bums me out that I think it's a very American thing to try and put a binary on if art is good and or bad.
1: Yeah, I mean, to a certain degree, yes, but it's also it's also a world born out of algorithms and the way that we communicate through social media now where everything is... I mean, I I, I saw it's, it's funny because... <laughs> Back in like the late 2000s, I saw a TED talk with this dude pre social media, pre like understanding the implications of what he was saying. But he was sort of presenting this idea for a world where basically all of our it was essentially that episode of Black Mirror, but like as if it was a good thing where it was he was presenting this idea that like what if we got like achievements like an Xbox achievement for just things we did. And like when you did something, when you when you accomplished a task, you got an achievement. Whenever you like helped an old lady across the street, you got an achievement. And like would that, you know, and that could lead to a better world where everybody's more conscientious and we're less likely to do bad things. And it was almost presented as this like optimistic utopian idea. And obviously it's the opposite of that. It's like a dystopian idea. Uh, almost like big brother concept where it's like you're self-policing yourself in this like mass um behavior policing uh like almost like decentralized totalitarian state which is kind of what that that black mirror episode is about but i think that also applies to just the way that we perceive art and media where everything is just like what's the score what's the aggregate does this fit into this category? It's only going to be algorithmically served to you if you have the right keywords and all that stuff. Like, that, you know, that's just how, every, that's how we interpret the world now. As the manga came to a close and his directing career was taking
0: off, there was an interest in producing an anime adaptation of Akira. However, the auteur creator was fearful that anyone other than himself directing the project would completely ruin the vision of the story. Thankfully, after much debate and negotiation, Otomo was allowed to direct the project that would become... At the time, the most expensive animated film in Japanese history. The budget for Akira would come in roughly at 1.1 billion yen. The film, surprisingly, only adapted the first one-third of the manga and chunks from the final volume. The film centers on a relationship between Tetsuo and Kaneda, two members of a local Tokyo juvenile biker gang. We follow their friendship as it deteriorates along with Tetsuo's body due to an accident where he literally runs into an escaped lab patient, unlocking his burgeoning psychic powers. However, unlike the manga, we stop short of following them as they lead rival armies through a bombed-out Neo-Tokyo, fighting for control of the freshly destroyed megacity. We don't get to know an intricately interlaced supporting cast, and we don't see how Akira reshapes the face of Japanese society. Why is this? Because the manga and the film were in production simultaneously. So Katsuhiro Otomo and his assistants were making the manga as... Katsuhiro Otomo and his army of animators were making the animated film. Also, there's just no way to cram 2,000 pages of his story into an hour and 20 minutes. I mean, that's just
1: just fucking insane. Like, there have been several, like, book series and manga that have been adapted into movies or TV shows or anime simultaneously as the source material is still being developed. Like, Almost every fucking anime is like that. Like, you know, One Piece, the anime, you know, has been in production since the mid-90s and the manga is still in production. Um, you, you know, Scott Pilgrim versus the World, the movie was being shot before the last volume of it was put out. Famously, Game of Thrones, the last book in that series, still has not ever been written and probably won't ever be written. Um, but the fact that he was... Develop. He was developing the manga simultaneously as he was directing the movie. Is insane. Yeah, and I'm not even talking about from a workload perspective, but just like the idea of like juggle, like developing, like actively developing the narrative of the books as he was like crystallizing it into a film, and, and like just the the feedback loop of that and how difficult that must have been for him to make decisions. Is it's just un. It's unfathomable.
0: Structural flaws aside, the film was boundary pushing on multiple fronts. Surprisingly, most anime at the time was animated first and then actors would try and match the lip movements. However, Otomo insisted that the dialogue should be recorded first, with the actors watching beatboard animatics to understand the context of their performances. This allowed for the animation process to take advantages of the nuances and the performances and increase the quality of production. Additionally, A main source of elevated cost was the fact that Otomo did not like the jerky look of animating on twos for the action sequences. You see, most animation is created by making one drawing for every two frames, meaning a traditional camera films in 24 frames per second, and animation is usually done 12 drawings per second. However, thanks to the large-scale action and rapid movement of motorcycles, Otomo insisted that these sequences be animated on ones. That meant that there was twice the animation to produce for these action scenes. In total, roughly 160,000 animation cells were produced for the finished film.
1: So not only were those motorcycles hand-drawn, but also they were drawing 24 drawings per second of those motorcycles instead of the 12 that they could have totally gotten away with. Yeah, I mean, you you say that flippantly like they totally got, would have got away with it, but I think that's why everything is so great. Well, for sure. Yeah, I'm not saying it's negligible or like imperceivable to the human eye. Like, I think that's part of why this movie is so special. But I just mean from a production standpoint, nobody was expecting them to do that. Nobody was like, you have to do it this way. Yeah,
0: yeah. Just look at the slavishly rendered trash that Tetsuo drives through and dumps his bike during the opening sequence. Or the hyper-detailed motorcycle chassis. Everything about the anime has the same level of fastidiousness and intense level of accuracy that Atomo's original manga drawings had. This
3: is the construction site that figures so prominently in the story. Each of these dots represents a lighted office window at night. Here they are painting the windows in the building, each one carefully done, as was the lettering. Even the commercials appearing on the TV monitors were precisely drawn. What a job. It requires a great deal of precision and fine work to express the vastness of the city.
1: Now you can just throw that shit and procreate and go, Siri, window job.
3: She is working on the mechanics. She's adding some color to one of the helicopters. Each part contains all the details of the real thing. Just take a look at all the different colors. Altogether, there were 327 distinct colors used in this production. It was quite a challenge, especially in animation. But it was necessary to create the effect of a real city.
0: And the, the, the workspace in the studio just looks so cool. It's also hilarious to me how everyone's wearing, like, cartoon clothing of, like, somebody that works in an anime studio in the 80s. This
3: is how the like, colors they're are fas-
0: The fashion is really 80s, but then they're also wearing, like, Hayao Miyazaki-style, like, art uh, aprons, you know, like a like a Bob Ross, like we're getting to we're gonna start painting now. Apron, which is just so funny to me. Oh my god,
3: the subtle difference between those two frames finished
1: doesn't it look real? I mean, I, w- I wouldn't say it looked real, but that's kind of a weird. It is Asahi Productions in Tokyo. The highest
3: photographic techniques were used in transferring the drawings to film. December 6, 1982. The bi-weekly edition of Japan's immensely popular comics anthology, Young Magazine. It was here that the Akira phenomenon was born. Akira, the teenager, awakened to his hidden powers powers that he could not control, powers that swept the megalopolis of Tokyo and the world in the maelstrom of World War
1: III.
3: Our stage is Neo-Tokyo, the super techno city of 2019, 30 years after the Holocaust. A ravaged city, and one totally unaware of the cause of its misery. あらゆる of it was There's just something about, like, industrial, of anarchy. industrial stuff that I'm always like, ooh, cool, I want to draw that.
0: Work. But I don't, though. I really don't. In the next
3: hour, we will interview Otomo and his associates to see how this adaptation was brought to the screen.
2: First, let's get the author's view of the production. It was never my intention to make Akira into a motion picture. It was originally created as a comic strip for Young magazine. But when I was asked to develop my story for the screen, I became very intrigued. I had always liked animation, and I would even gotten together before with some friends to create shorter animated films with other characters. So why not try it with Akira? The difference between comics and animation? Well, most obviously, at first, the character's mouths start moving, and then they start acting. It's just a given with animation that something's got to move. So, when I began working on adapting Akira into an animated film, I thought, just let the characters go, let them act by themselves. It was in this direction that I first started to develop the concept of Akira as a film. About Neo-Tokyo, it is extremely difficult to express the depth of such a vast city. As I originally developed the comic, I used each issue to build more depth and size to this mammoth city. I kept trying to achieve this by creating a variety of situations to stage the graphic storytelling. But with film, you get to combine all this into one. And I think it is much more convincing on film than in a serialized comic strip. You see, a comic is just a picture. Yet, with animation, you get to add color, sound, and motion. In this way, I felt that I could really create the type of environment that I wanted to depict as Neo Tokyo. It's for the heroes. Well, there is no one hero in Akira. In actuality, there are several central characters. Kaneda, Kei, Tetsuo, the colonel, they could all be called the heroes of this motion picture. It was never my intention to build this story around one central character. Rather, I attempted to show many different perspectives on life and personality in the best megalopolis of Neo-Tokyo circa 2019.
0: For clarity, a normal anime director would not have been given the freedom to animate on ones and implore expensive solutions. However, the momentum that Atomo had going into the production of Akira was almost unprecedented. The book was a critical darling and a massive commercial success for Young Magazine and its publisher Kodansha. The typical business model for anime in Japan is that you have a magazine that serializes a lot of manga stories, and then you just hope one of them reaches breakthrough popularity, then if that happens, you merchandise the shit out of it and make an anime adaptation and cash in. While it might seem like a risky decision to have a creative genius who is obviously very precious about his creation at the helm, Powers That Be felt this was the only option. Simultaneous to producing the film, Otomo was also attempting to end his long-running manga. It would take a full two years past the release of the film, but he would eventually do it. He went on record multiple times about his struggles with how to bring the story to a close. However, after talking to famed auteur director and comic creator Alejandro Jodorowsky, he came up with a very surreal, bizarre, and yet ultimately satisfying ending for the manga. However, the topping of endings would not leave Otomo's life for long. When Akira was finally released in Japan, theatrically on July 16th, 1988, it would only earn 750 million yen. This was perceived as a failure on the grandest scale. Was it actually a career-ending bomb? No. However, Otomo was seen as the chosen one, the true inheritor to the crown of Osamu Tezuka. The next generation of mangaka turned filmmaker who would redefine what popular culture meant, and this film having failed to live up to that promise was the ultimate defeat. Many pointed to the ending of the film as the reason why it underperformed. This failure haunted Otomo for years afterward. However, while the genius storyteller was licking his wounds, something else was happening across the globe a rumbling that would rewrite the legacy of both the creator and
1: the project it was me act being two. born it was it was us <laughs> being born yeah 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 that's what it
0: was yeah yeah act 2 and things were never the same Anime had made its way to the United States in the late 1960s and early 1970s with early translation efforts around properties like Speed Racer and Battle of the Planets, taking on moderate levels of success. However, by the 1980s, VHS dupe trading services and mail-away VHS companies had started to spring up across the country. Americans were becoming more and more interested in Japanese animation with every passing year. By the time we hit 1988, there was a stalwart base of people in the States that were really into anime. However, there needed to be a mainstreaming of the interest in order to get the American movie business to sit up and actually pay attention. In May of 1991, Streamline Video put out Akira, dubbed in the United States. This release was so successful for the indie company that Orion Home Video, a major player at the time, stepped in to re-release the film in September of 1993. By the end of that year, Akira had sold 60,000 units in England, 100,000 across Europe, and another 100,000 in America. It was a bona fide hit, and with people who previously had no exposure to anime. A similar thing was happening in Japan as well. Despite being DOA during its initial theatrical run, the film was taking on a rabid cult following and even talked about as the greatest animated film of all time. Otomo's legacy was rapidly being rewritten year by year. This success led directly to the creation of Manga Entertainment, a subsidiary of Island Records, Manga Entertainment's whole reason for existing, was to supply a newly ravenous fan base. Alongside Akira, they put out Appleseed, Battle Angel Alita, Ghost in the Shell, and countless others. Before you know it, Pokemon is on weekday afternoons, joined by Dragon Ball Z, Digimon, and Sailor Moon. Manga and anime are a tangible and potent part of American life with a ravenous fan base and billions of dollars in merchandise generated every year. We love Attack on Titan and My Hero Academia in the same way that we love domestic projects like Spider-Man and Star Wars. They are a structural part of our culture and it only goes back to one moment, one hyper specifically cool, intangibly strange piece of media, a story about two friends, psychic warfare and a military industrial complex in a post-apocalyptic future that seems simultaneously very far away and hauntingly close. I think it's pretty apparent that we both really like Akira. Um, And I also, I just want to underline how, how aberrant it is. That somebody just gets handed the keys to the kingdom like Otomo did. Um, And I think that in and of itself is almost a bigger commercial for the book. You know what I mean? Like, I think if there was another person directing the anime, it would have been great. It would have been cool, but it would have been different. And it wouldn't have been almost, for lack of a better term, like the Stan Leification of Akira. Because it is so, like, the versions of it that exist are made with the guiding hand of Katsuhiro Otomo. Um and this is why I don't need a fucking live action American Akira.
1: Like I just don't need it. You don't need a live action Akira starring Keanu Reeves, directed by uh who was it gonna be for a while there? The Hughes Brothers at one point. Then it was like Hecabatiti recently. And
0: and Jordan Peele got offered it maybe. And like I just don't need any I don't need a Christopher Nolan. Was it was Leonardo that Leonardo DiCaprio? Yeah, Le,
1: Christopher Nolan and Leonardo DiCaprio one. That was the one from like a while back. That was the one that they were talking about for a while. Yeah, back I just like, don't need. Back that. in like 20, 2010 Yeah, just don't.
0: I do not need that at all.
1: Yeah, um, well, it's funny because I, I think you know other than other than some specific outliers like you know off the top of my head you know obviously we we did a whole episode about Speed Racer a movie that i think really captures the uh the frenetic intensity of of that anime and anime in general um there's also uh this Takashi Mike movie called Yatterman which is uh, a a live action adaptation of a of an anime called Yatterman that i think also similarly like achieves like actually translating the just the Frenetic intensity of anime into live action, but I, I think other than a few specific examples, you know, that's just not a. It's not an easy thing to translate animation in general to live action, let alone the specific aesthetic and mechanics of anime. Um, and it's it's funny because I just saw this TikTok the other day where somebody was comparing the intro to the Fairly Odd Parents show the cartoon to the intro to the live action version that they just made for Disney plus or uh, not Disney plus, whatever fucking Netflix or whatever. Um, There's a live action fairly odd parents show. Yeah. Oh my God. This is what? Really? Yeah. It's like, it's like, it's like fairly odd parents, fairly Odder or something like that. And it's like, Timmy Turner is an adult and he like gives the, fairy godparents to two new kids is this real yeah. drake
0: bell is in this is he no maybe this that can't was a, be real this can't no be that real. was that was a, a fairly
1: movie. odd parent oh that was in 2011 that was like yeah that was like a made for tv movie where i think drake bell played timmy turner there's a show what? Now. fairly odder they wouldn't wow! Let, oh, but they wouldn't the, let but, Bill the but the fairly odd parents down.
0: are still animated, so they're it's like a yeah. Roger Rabbit thing.
1: Yeah, and they look the, they look the same, like they're 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 animated. They, they look the same as they did in the show. It's weird. Wow! What the fuck? This is so weird. It's a Paramount Plus original.
0: Wow! I've I had literally not even heard that this show existed, and my mind
1: is kind of blown. I only heard about it from people kind of making fun of it on TikTok uh, because. So somebody was comparing the intros to the two shows and they're talking about the specific part where the in the intro where it's like, you know, obtuse rubber goose, something, something, guava juice, giant snake, birthday cake, blah, 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 blah. And so it's like it's basically like showing all the different wishes that he's that he can wish for. And in the intro, it's like showing like, you know, he's those things are appearing in front of him and he uh, Vicky turns into a giant snake and all this stuff. And it's like, this you know, it's just basically like conveying the imaginative concept of what the show is. And then in the, uh, in the live action version, that part of the intro song, um, when it gets to that part of just naming off wishes that they can, that they're making, um, they, they're just standing there. And then like it does like a, a jump cut to them sitting in chairs. And then the things that they're naming off are just like really normal things. And they're just kind of appearing in their hands like, you know, apple pie, something like just normal stuff. And it's just appearing in their hands. And they were using that as an example of how like animation just can't translate to live action very well. Because it's like, yeah, you can't like when it comes to animation, like the sky's the limit of whatever you, you want to imagine for for Timmy Turner to wish for. And then you can show it actually happening. Whereas in a live action show, it's like you can't do that. You're you're you're. You're sort of uh, your ham, your your uh, you're confined to whatever like things that they found that the PA found at Party City like an hour ago or whatever. That was especially that was, with like,
0: a fucking like Nickelodeon live action show where it's like, all right, guys, we're we've got a we've got a uh pinata, uh some party hats and uh, red silly cups. Let's do this.
1: Yeah. And so it's that and it also kind of reminds me of the discourse about like adapting video games into movies where people are just like, yeah, like The Last of Us, like that's perfect for a movie. Like it has such a great story. And it's like, yeah, I mean, it has a it has a great story for an interactive video game. And I think that's a, a lot of times with these when they try to adapt a, a video game into a movie. The thing that they realize is that in the translation, it's like, oh, yeah, like. It had a great story for a video game where you're interacting with the world. But like as a movie, this is just kind of like the road. Like it's it it it, it, it has a very specific uniqueness in its medium. And uh, that that those two things kind of just make me think about this and how like no matter what they would do with a live action Akira movie, like it would just not be it, you just it just wouldn't translate. Like they wouldn't be able to translate the visuals or what happens in the movie It would just, no matter what it would be disappointing. And also they just wouldn't be able to like translate what made that, that movie as special as it was. Cause like even little things like that production technique that they use 24 frames a second to animate, like movies are already 24 frames a second. So like you can't even recreate the magic of that. So yeah, it's like no matter who made an Akira movie, even if they actually cast like real actual Japanese people in the movie instead of Leonardo DiCaprio like no matter what it's just it's not going to be good like you know it's not going to be good I don't need I just don't need it like it exists that being
0: said I am interested in the fact that they're purportedly working on a, a full anime adaptation of the series with Otomo overseeing it all like that's interesting to me because it's a new thing that hasn't been done they haven't adapted the whole story We've seen what happens when you try and cram two thousand pages into two hours. It doesn't really work. But as a TV show with specifically Otomo overseeing it all, I don't know. Maybe that could be cool. Frankly, I still don't really need it. But if Otomo is the one being like, "Oh no, this is going to be cool," then I'll 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 be I'm along for the ride.
1: Like, all right, we're doing an anime. I'm overseeing it. It's going to be a faithful adaptation of the manga. Every piece of the story, nothing's getting left out. But Kaneda is going to be an animated Leonardo DiCaprio. That's the thing that's
0: always been so weird to me is that they're going to do characters in Neo Tokyo named Kaneda Tetsuo. And it's always white dudes that they're talking about have, have being the main character. And I'm like, I don't know, man. I and mean, I know a bunch of the things have been like, it's been
1: transposed into Neo New York. And I'm like, really? Yeah. Well, I think, I mean, I think that there was a place, there was, there was a place for that kind of like, uh, um, uh, localization at a time, like there was a, you know, cause you know, a lot of, a lot of, they, they, have done that a lot, like the ring movies, Ringu was, was made into a, a series of American films where it was like set in America and featured American, mostly white people. Um, but that was back in a time whenever we didn't get Ringu in the United States. And there was much more of a barrier of like media and pop culture. But now it's like we're, we're a global society. So there's, I really don't see a need to like make a white person version of anything anymore. Yeah, totally. Um, yeah, I mean, I think my closing thoughts are
0: the Akira bike slide is fucking cool. And or the, you know, Canada uh, bike slide is fucking cool. It's been adapted into all these different fucking forms, which is always really fun to see. And also, uh, I love Akira. Both as a manga and the film. I love Katsuhiro Otomo. I really like his son's work, Shohei Otomo. If you're not into if you're not not up on that Shohei saying hey to you, go check out his work. He's a really talented illustrator as well. And um, it's it's fascinating how you get these kind of cultural pivot points, you know, where you have enough momentum for something that it just busts open a this new lane. And without Akira anime Pokemon Digimon, none of that shit would be in the States and our culture would be much less for it. Um and uh and also, uh, the more we're talking about these vibes only movies, the more I'm kinda like, are all my favorite movies vibes only movie? Like, is that do I just only like movies that are about the vibes? Maybe, I, mean, I, I
1: don't know. I think that is the case. I mean, for somebody who's like a whole movie can be ruined for you if just like the costume isn't good, like I th- I think I think you are a vibes only. It's just it's it's just it's just all Davian vibes. Bitch, don't kill my vibes. Yeah, or else he'll hate your movie forever.
0: Andrew, what are your closing thoughts about a little bit of the Akira a little bit of the, how an, the anime industry evol- evolved, uh, uh, your your connection to it? Uh, what what you, what, you, what you, what's your final thoughts on this bad
1: boy? Well, really quick, before I get to that, I just have to quickly shout out uh, the thing that we didn't talk about because, you know, it wasn't necessarily germane to the discussion. But I do have to say that in addition to the film being amazing, uh, the soundtrack to uh, Akira, which we've heard a little bit of, is one of the greatest um, movie animated film and film at all soundtracks of all time. Um, it was done by, by Gino Yamashiragumi, which is like a, which was like an, a musical collective um, that was a group of people. Um, and it was largely patterned after like a combination between like Indonesian chant music and then Japanese no music. Um, uh, and, you know, if, if you've ever heard, if you've ever watched any kind of like nature documentary that uh, goes to, you know, uh, Indonesia and you've, like tribes of people doing that kind of like group chanting where they're all kind of like in a big circle like that's that's indonesian chanting music and then japanese no music is like if you've ever heard in like any kind of japanese media those things were it'll be like a little like these like intermittent drums and then a guy will go like yo like that's no music and it so they basically took those two styles and combined them um which is like a really interesting choice right because like you would think like, oh, like, yeah, Akira, it's going to have like some like synth wave type, like, you know, pulsing synthesizer sci-fi music. But they decided to go completely st- almost stylistically in the opposite direction with the music um, to like just breathtaking effect. Um, so I had to shout out the soundtrack because it's one of my favorite movie soundtracks of all time. Um, but yeah, I, I you know, just in, in the closing thoughts. Um, I, yeah, I fully agree. I think it's absolutely insane. Um, the, the sequence of events that led to where we are now, where, you know, even, even whenever we were a little younger, like whenever we were in high school and a little bit of out of high school, like when I was working at borders and whenever you were working at borders, you know, there'd be like huge groups of weebs that would come in and buy like literal stacks of manga volumes. Like these kids would come in and they would literally come in and buy like, 20 manga volumes a week. Um, just the, just a the critical mass of consumption. And now we're at the place where we are now where n- manga and anime are almost like a dominant pop cultural form in the United States. Um, and all of that came from, like I said, almost this Trojan horse gambit where they were like, oh, this this movie looks really good. It's It's got like great production values. And there are several key moments in the film where there's just some really gross, gory shit. So let's just cut together a trailer with like rock music of just showing like people's faces exploding and we'll like sell some 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 videotapes off of this. And from that, like taking a just like beautiful work of art and repackaging it as a sales tool to make money almost kind of in a clickbait way, because that's really not what Akira is, that one singular sort of business decision completely reshaped the popularity and the uh, influence of uh, Japanese manga and anime in the United States. Um, And that's just, that's crazy. That's just, it's just a mind blowing ripple effect in the history of our pop cultural world that, Kind of hard to wrap your mind around. Like that one movie and that one decision kind of led to where we are today. Um, and uh I'm glad it did. That was a weird dismount.
0: (laughs) a weird dismount. It was like all this grandiose uh, gravitas-filled I didn't want to end on just like
1: like, it's cool. I didn't want to end on just like it was fucking crazy, man. Like I didn't I didn't want to end it on like a nebulous like shit's wild. So I wanted to think of some better way to end it. Maybe I didn't.
0: Well, I respect it. Uh, I respect a clumsy dismount. And on that note, I'm Dave Baker. This has been Deep Cuts. If you'd like to find me on the internet, you can do so at heydavebaker.com where you can pre-order my book, Halloween Boy. This is the last week that it's going to be up on the site and then I'm going to put the order in at the printer. So if you are into weird shit like Akira, probably buy Halloween Boy. (laughs) They're not really that related, but... I'm choosing to say that they are Spandrew. Also, Halloween Boy is like an action-adventure comic about a weirdo spooky Doc Savage-style adventurer in, an, uh, in a bizarre bizarre future. Spandrew, where can people find you on the internet? You can't.
1: You can find me riding my giant motorcycle down the streets of Neo Purgatory 7, and I see Dave across the road, and I scream, DAVE! And he screams, Spandrew! And then... Uh, which one of us is
0: Tetsuo and which one is Kaneda? That's the real question.
1: Uh, yeah, I mean, I think I think you're Tetsuo. You're, I'll take you're, it. You're, I'll you're, fucking you're take it, baby. You're, you're definitely gonna, like, bulge to, like, a giant, like, blob monster and, like, crush Freddy in your skin folds one day. Um, and you can't find me on social media because I don't use social media, but if you want to uh, pre-order... Dave's book, Halloween Boy. Once again, go to heydavebaker.com. Uh, if you want to know more about the book, you can hear me as a paid shill talking about it and giving it compliments on last episode after Dave uh, handsomely compensated me. Um, and you can also find us at, on Facebook by searching Deep Cuts Podcast. You can join our Facebook group, Deep Cuts Podcast Facebook group. You can join our uh, Discord server, bit.ly.com slash Discord. You can follow us on Instagram at DeepCutsPod. You can uh, follow us on TikTok at Mystery Treehouse. And uh, if you if you haven't if you haven't uh, dropped your your final uh, rent money on Dave's book, there's also a couple of the simple code tape comics left over. It's a uh, it's a hi fi cassette tape with the full um, nine track. Uh, Napster musical from the Napster episode that was the season finale of season one of Deep Cuts and in the tape there's also a five page full color comic that was written by Papa Pricey and drawn by Brandon Nebbit with cover colors by Shannon Willett uh, there's still a couple copies of that left probably won't print anymore after that unless there's some kind of spike in demand but otherwise they're probably gonna be the last ones we make so if you still want one of those pick them up and if you are waiting on one Uh, I'm making my way downtown, walking fast, faces past as I'm homebound. I'll be, I'll be back. I'll be back in LA soon and I'll ship those off to you guys.